Hey y'all, welcome to Geek Freaks. I am Frank and today I'm joined by Jenny Steven. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you. Great. Jenny, can you explain to the folks at home what you do? <laughs> so my current title is Fandom Development Consultant. And what that means is, is that I've taken my digital marketing and digital production and content production background and entertainment TV film background marketing and being a born sci-fi fantasy geek nerd. <laughs> uh, I've taken all of that and about, gosh, now it's almost 10 years ago, decided to focus specifically on making sure that fandoms and their IPs, their content that they love, know how to communicate right with each other and that those IP owners do their best to spend the time with those fandoms and develop relationships. That's wonderful. How has that changed over 10 years? Because it feels like just social <laughs> media moves so quick. <laughs> it's changed a lot even since I began. Because when I started out, um, so, you know, full disclosure, uh, geek with gray hair, that um, <laughs> I started in 92, 86, actually, with mm -hmm. online. So Usenet groups, one of the very first groups that I was in was in 92 was X-Files. And whatever's old is new again. So when I was helping and developing those particular fandoms in Usenet groups, so for anybody who doesn't know what that was, um, <laughs> in, in very, very early days, what you had was a text-only um, forum blog, and everybody could talk to each other, and it was basically, basically, it was Reddit in the old days. And what these groups did is, just like Reddit, they were grouped by likes and dislikes. So I liken where we are now to where it started. In between was a whole series of growth and experiments and what worked and what didn't work. I mean, everything from, you know, AOL chat to MySpace to everything that we've got now. And what it means is for an IP owner, as well as a fan, actually, you have so many different destinations that you have to pay attention to. And so when you're, when you're in my seat and you're trying to be a consultant for an IP owner, what you need to do is say, you need to go where your audience is. Don't create a TikTok channel just because it's the newest cool. Well, forever how long we get to keep TikTok because it's the newest thing. Um, or if you're going to go to Tribal or Mastodon or Instagram, whatever it is you're going to go to, to reach your audience, go to where your audience is. Don't create something in the old, uh, if they build it, if we build it, they will come. That doesn't work. And it, and it hasn't worked since the late 90s. But there are a lot of studios and IP owners of which I of whom I consult with who still don't understand the and this is this is my tagline, which is you have to spend the time. You can't just do a six week window. So for your audience and for you yourself, I'm sure you know this, but marketing for television, film and even book launches averages about six weeks to three months. Usually it's called your marketing window before launch. And then you usually will do a, what's called a long tail, depending upon if you have a franchise that you're trying to build, or if it's a one-off, it's usually a three weeks. So your whole window by that owner, by that studio or that publisher could only be, could might be nine weeks total. Well, that's insane because if you're trying to either reach an audience that already exists or create a new audience, you're not spending the time. You're not creating a relationship. And that's what I do is that I help them put that together from the smallest budget to the biggest budget. How do we do it for you so we can go to where your audience is, give them really great content, whatever we can put together, and then keep them engaged, keep them 
wanting more, give them what they need. And then you, you have to talk to them. <laughs> what are your, I mean, just like what you talk about on your podcasts, what do these fans want to hear about? You always, like you just told me, you always put out on Twitter before your podcast. Hey guys, here's the question for the week. This is what we're going to do. We want to know. You genuinely want to know what your audience's interest is. Yeah. And then you got to, you got to also look at the numbers too and see like, oh, okay, I notice that you guys start to like wrestling more, something like right. that. <laughs> Might want to start, a, you know, understanding that and maybe even adapting to it. Yeah. Exactly. And there's always a cycle too. So it's what my job is, is to look at not just with those internal cycles, with that internal interest, but what are the external variables? So the economy, uh, you know, that is going to affect right now, especially what people can buy. Entertainment is luxury. So having a streamer is expensive for a lot of people. And we're finding that streaming publication or streaming um, uh, subscriptions are dropping right now. So there's an attrition rate of they'll buy it for the Mandalorian or they'll buy it for Ahsoka or they'll buy it for Star Trek Strange New Worlds and then they'll drop because what they can do is they can say, cool, I'll spend 10 bucks, which is great. And then I'll spend 10 bucks again when the new season comes out or with Paramount Plus, I can get Picard, Strange New Worlds and the last season of Discovery for three months and then I'm done until the fall. That that's really hard for those IP owners to keep with those fans up. How do you keep those fans going if they're dropping off your streamer? You got to find a way to keep them engaged. And that's where supplemental content comes in. Okay, cool. You're going to drop off my streamer, but we're going to do a supplemental comic book. And this is going to hopefully be something that bridges our season to the next. And maybe you'll stick around because we'll have the voices of an animated piece that we're doing that's exclusive for Paramount+. Plus. And that's what, that's what they're slowly starting to get is that it can't just be a one-off. You can't just drop off a cliff at the end of your window, your quote unquote content marketing window. Paramount and, and Star Trek, which it could be my bias because that's my favorite sci-fi fandom, of course, but that is a really good example of it because of course I, I'll, I'll, well, we have Paramount all the time, but there's a moment where I'm focusing on lower decks than right. exactly. all out. Exactly. But that being said, right now they have a whole new line of comic books that are out that are excellent. Yep. Uh, Chris is doing the, the, um, I, just was speaking to him actually that's doing the uh, storyline for the strange, I'm sorry, lower decks, comic books, lower decks. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, and it's, and that helps, right? Yeah. That it, helps. It, and then you'll even see clips on TikTok or, or, or Instagram or something like that. And that's reminding you, exactly. oh, I, I got to watch Voyager again. Like no, that, yeah. that's exactly it too. And, and of course there's always the recaps, right? So mm -hmm. for instance, for, for, and we're going to talk a little bit about this, but for the two that I'm working on right now, because the new books don't come out till December, we're going to run some recaps on TikTok and Instagram. And what that does is that reminds people or gets a new audience. And there's always that twofer for me. And, you know, in my presentations to existing and potential clients, what I'm always talking about is here's where your audience is. This is your existing audience. It might be small. It might be big. Then here's who I think your potential is. And that's the kind of fun one is that it's pretty easy to keep an existing audience if you're doing the right content. And that's, you know, kind of the, the key. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're engaging them correctly, I mean, you have to be respectful. You have to, I mean, I worked in star Wars for a long time and that, and this was pre super toxic star Wars fandom, but yeah, of course, yeah, I miss but, those days. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but um, Bonnie Burton, who started starwars.com way back when, so she's a good friend and she was a partner when we worked together and Nicole Love and a whole bunch of us. So Fox handled the distribution of mm -hmm. post theatrical broadcast. Um, so, and, and broadcast. So that's when I handled all of Star Wars and James Bond and Buffy and all of those. And 
one of the things that we had to do was that you had to make sure that you were not just doing the good content, but you were keeping that existing audience engaged with content they've already seen. So that means you constantly have to come up with something, especially for Star Wars or James Bond, something they, and this became such the stupidest acronym, never been seen before. So NBSB, and I swear it became such a marketing catchphrase with clients from about the late 2000s through all the 10s. And it's just kind of crazy because what what we're looking at is it can't just be that you've never seen it before. A lot of times it might just be pulling the curtain aside so fans can see what happened yeah. behind the scenes. And Disney Disney did a great job when they did the round table with Filoni and John Favreau. And that was actually John Favreau's idea because he had worked for a long time with us in the old days on doing the DVD featurette. So he knew how much those could sell the streaming, the, that extra content. And that all came from the two of them. They knew what would be the best way to engage your audience because retreading star wars there's there's so much we know yeah. right oh and, hours and hours of content yeah exactly now with star trek you have so much new content right now that all they have to do is have one behind the scenes with patrick stewart or uh anson mount anybody right anson mount does one twitter where he literally says <laughs> i know nothing about what's happening with strange new worlds and it gets like two million views and I, so, i'm one of them liking every one of his I tweets mean, i love no, it and mount. <laughs> i love strange new worlds and i love i mean hell on wheels i love Anson oh my mount. god right <laughs> I, mean, I was i just he's such a fun actor and i love the fact that he went from this kind of wry gruff cowboy western frontier and gets to show his sense of humor much uh, yeah. much more and, and, and when he world. when he opens that door and he's wearing the apron and he's cooking for his yeah. crew, I was like, <laughs> I want to be you. <laughs> You're so amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we were just um, I'm rewatching it because my son hadn't seen it. So um, he's home from college. And so we were I said, hey, you haven't seen this. Let's watch it. And he's like, hey, this is really good. And he's kind of and he's more of a Star Wars fan, but he really is digging strange new worlds like he really yeah. couldn't get into discovery. You had to know to, you had to know a lot about Star Trek. I love I love Discovery, but I know I'm not necessarily in the majority about that. Um, my best friend, David Reed, who runs the Stargate uh, Dial the Gate podcast. Oh, wow. He, yeah. he is a diehard Star Trek fan. And so he he's been trying to get me more into it, even though that's how I got into sci fi was that um, my dad and I watched the original series when it was on reruns up in Northern California on KTVU. And that's how I got into sci fi. But I wasn't. I wasn't as big a Star Trek fan. Um, again, dating myself. Um, I was 11 when Star Wars came out. New Hope. Oh, perfect and, timing. <laughs> oh, my God. And so I just watched Star Trek with my dad when I was like seven or eight. And then that. And of course, then we were also watching Monty Python and the other stuff, too. But so all I remember is standing in line. We had essentially what was a Cinerama Dome in Marin County. And six times I went to go see that movie. And my dad went with me like three times. So that's what got me involved. But you have to know sometimes a lot of the canon to watch some of these shows. And one of the things that I work on a lot with IP owners is you have to give fans an easy entry. So we're talking about existing fans, but when we're talking about that concentric circle out that you want to go to new fans, how do you, how are you going to get their interest? So if you're targeting sci-fi readers, 
and they've never heard of your author or your story, how do you capture their attention? It can't be something that that is so deep dive that they're they're not even going to bother. Yeah, it'll look daunting and they'll steer away. So do you go to a short form like maybe TikTok or something like that and do Absolutely. those recaps? Okay, yeah. because that's in general, as again, whatever is old is new again. Mm-hmm. Email marketing is really kind of insane. The newsletter uh, thing right now, all of a sudden it's like, wait, we're doing these again? And yeah, I they're know. doing quite well. <laughs> quite well. So I worked on the Stargate Command app with MGM from 2015 to 2020, when unfortunately, because of COVID, we had to close down. Right. But one of our one of our most popular uh, ways of communicating with new audiences, actually, was via email marketing. Our open rate was something insane, like 40 something percent, oh, which wow. I don't think in my whole career I've ever gotten that. But the reason we did that is we we did a one two punch. We went after existing audience, which was probably and still is around one to three million fans that are active around the world in in the Stargate universe. And Mm -hmm. then we went after who were they interacting with? What was that Venn diagram, right? And so surprisingly, a huge part of it, I guess not so surprising because of Chris, was gaming. Mm -hmm. And so we found on Twitch and through a lot of trial and error, that was a there was a fairly substantial minority percentage of gamers who had discovered Stargate through Kratos through God of War. Yeah. So it was just, you, know, you do your research, right? This and is then so just, funny. Just, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I got yeah. a buddy who's on the podcast, Kevin. Actually, I was just talking about him. He's a major Stargate fan. And I'm like, I got to check out this Christopher Judge, guys. He's so cool. And he's like, watch Stargate, please. And so now I am looking into Stargate oh, because you? of God of War. Yeah. That's he's, perfect. He's so it's good. Him, oh, man, he's amazing. <laughs> he is amazing. And he's, you know, he is. He's one of the good guys. Like I mentioned earlier, he we did a roundtable with he and Christina Ariel and James David Powell, who's uh, the Geek Insider. He's very active in cosplay, and mm-hmm. um, he's actually developing some shows. and And the roundtable was about African Americans in sci fi fantasy, and and you know where is the state of the union essentially? Yeah. yeah. And one of the things that he talked about a lot was how he got into Stargate, and and I'll have you put that link in as well so you guys can see right. the the round table but his history of how he got into stargate is the typical african-american actor having to kind of work against the grain and then kratos even more so now and then and no disservice to the original voice of kratos who's just right. amazing and chris and he are good friends but he was kind of not he was kind of done and they wanted to go in another direction and mm-hmm. chris went in to go audition and they, he was not the direction they were going to go in. And he has so much passion and pathos engaged in this character. And when he first read the script, he didn't know it was a game. He didn't know it was a video game. Yeah. His agent, I just love her, so smart, didn't tell him, hey, yeah. I've got a new script for you. It's probably going to be a voiceover. So he thought it was maybe animated. You know, he mm-hmm. wasn't exactly sure. Um, or live action animation. And so he read it. And of course, the the because he's, a father of several sons. And so that relationship is what hooked him. Yeah. And he that's said, the part that stays with you too. Is, does, is the father son right? relationship. You go for the act, you stay for the father son relationship. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And look, I love all kinds of different video games. And it, again, it just depends on what mood I'm in. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. shoot them up or, you know, some puzzle game or some super long, but the ones that really get me are like God of war or some fine, some of the final fantasy. I kind of go in and out of it. Mm-hmm. where you're really engaged in the story arc 
the whole, and I'm, you know, I'm a storyteller. So those are always the ones that are going to get me. I was really lucky early, early days to work on Myst, And that's kind of what oh, wow. sucked me in. Well, I was, I had always played games, obviously when you're early on computers, you know, games were a big deal, Yeah, but I was lucky enough to find Mindscape and they wanted somebody to help them with their marketing. And so I got to work with Red Orb Productions and do Myst. So that kind of informed also what I got addicted to. Yeah. I mean, Soul Calibur also works for me because, you know, pound, 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 fight, yeah. fight, fight, street fighter. <laughs> but, um, but those kinds of story arcs are what I'm addicted to. And it's why I love franchises. And it's what I work on the most for franchises as a fandom developer now, as a, as a digital producer when I did it. The st- it's why they would throw them to me. Nobody at Fox wanted to do any of the sci-fi geek stuff when I first started. So this <laughs> Bring was, it to me, I'll take it. <laughs> that was 2001 when I started and nobody wanted them. When I, was, when I started oh, wow. really- That's moving, a big I year was, for geekdom and, and Fox. Right, right? <laughs> and, it's, and where I'd started was, uh, was in gaming and uh, doing digital content for, because of course, video games were first. Um, because the first really big- uh, there's a fight over which one was first in 97. Was it Stargate or was it Star Trek who did the first really big uh, internet marketing? And so there's, mm-hmm. there's always fights between Sony and MGM about who did it first, but um, I think, or Paramount, sorry, but I think what really caught my eye so much was <laughs> a, nobody wanted to do them, but B that, well, I love this stuff. And it was one of those, oh, Jenny will do it. She loves sci-fi. Just give her all, you know, literally it was, ugh, we don't care about this. Just because of course they were focused on, you know, in the early 2000s, they had, you had all your comedies, you had friends going on and everything else. Yeah, and yeah. so Seinfeld, the, the focus really wasn't on sci-fi geek, even though those shows were pulling in really good numbers. You had, you had the, the Star Wars prequels warming up in that area exactly. too. It was, it was coming. Exactly. So I got to work on those, obviously. Yeah. And I loved them. I mean, you know, I also had. We are big proponents of it. We talk about it often. Like, okay, yeah, that's what got me into Star Wars. So forever, I'm like Count Dooku. Well, oh, the way he holds that lightsaber. <laughs> see, and you're that generation too, because yeah. it's that's what you grew up on. And right. so, I mean, it's Gen X and Boomers who are, for the most part, so bitter about the prequels. And I'm, <laughs> I am the, the vocal minority whenever we go out because. I love them for what they are. I'm not comparing them right. to the original series. I'm That's not even key. comparing them to the, the sequels. They are what they are. They're their own thing. And if you if you look at the story arc, the story arc is great. Yeah. Story arcs are great. And of course, that's what you're seeing now. Hayden Christensen is over at, at Celebration. And of course, they're flipping out. <laughs> yeah. And then Dave Filoni, he's like, look, guys, there's something here. <laughs> and right. He's giving us everything. Yeah. Right. Oh, shoot. And I'm blanking on his name that was just on The Mandalorian who played Jar Jar Banks. And I'm, oh, I can't believe I'm just. Ahmad, Ahmad Best. Thank you. So, mm-hmm. you know, Ahmad getting essentially his redemption oh, in The Mandalorian. I know. Sorry, Almost in tears away. just thinking about it. It's I know. so beautiful. I got, I yeah. got goosebumps. And yeah. my husband's like, what is with you? I said, no, you don't get it. I he worked deserves on the everything. It was, I felt so bad for him. I, and of course, my son, who was uh, three and four, he loved Jar Jar Banks. He thought yeah. Jar Jar Banks was the greatest thing ever. So yes. him and you know Yoda, he was thrilled. But those are those 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 franchises to to t- go back to that is that I love the long story arcs. Mm-hmm. I love that there's you know on X Files or Buffy you had you know monster or mystery of the week, but you had your story arc. The Star Wars, Star Trek, whatever it is, there's these underlying story arcs that we just always go back to. 
And that's as a fandom development, you know, passionate person, that's what you just keep, keep in mind. Always go back to that foundation. Always remind your fans, okay, you might've liked this one. You might've not liked this one, but this is what our story is. And that's, that's what we're sticking with. Mm-hmm. Whether it's the hero's journey or it's the, which is, you know, pretty much all sci-fi fantasy is the hero journey. But whatever your theme is that you're working on, yeah, that's what you have to remind the fans. Hey, we're serving that particular theme. It reminds me of Star Wars right now, the way they do the, you know, we have the hero's journey with the Mandalorian. It's a great, great example. Right. And now Disney's very good about putting out those character posters every week. Exactly. And each time is a new character in some sort of hero pose. Even this last week, Jack Black is standing with his arms right, like right. this, like in yeah. a hero pose. And he's like, his yeah. character is not really meant to be that, but you but bet I love serves, that poster. <laughs> it serves the story. You're exactly yeah. right. And that's some of the fun that I get to have is working with creators and designers and developers and the authors themselves or the IP owners or the writers. Always talk to the writers. Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry, but that's, Pay attention to who writers are. Stay after the movie and watch the credits. Pay attention to who is writing your graphic novel that you love, the inkers, the illustrators, because they're the ones who are keeping your story, that story arc. They're the ones keeping it alive. Colorists, too. Like We've talked to colorists and and the amount of mood they add to it, the emotion they add to your comic book. You wouldn't believe it. Oh, my God. Yes, exactly. And it is, you know, your VFX artists that are... You know, just Overworked. one, one, I mean, oh my God, <laughs> a lot of credits where nobody can yeah. read it because it goes by so fast. And then you've got 60 blocks of the different VFX. And we're just waiting to see what happens with Dr. Strange next. <laughs> right, exactly. And it's so true. Um, I was disappointed that, that there weren't three uh, series um, trailers or teasers, whatever on Wakanda forever. It's like, wait, what? So <laughs> I think there are not enough credit although more with podcasts like yours who are highlighting writers like you did with Mm -hmm. jeff the other day the badass girl you know the the writers that you're paying attention to they're the ones that are need to be talked to and they're the ones you need to bring to the fans yeah because like i said when you start to pull that curtain you've got super smart fans i mean the first time i ever saw this wasn't with buffy ironically it was with stargate where they're the fans who loved to see what was happening behind the curtain Joe yeah, Malazzi, yeah. Brad Wright, the people who were writing Stargate, they that fandom wanted to know. And then that and I'll say X-Files was also because, of course, they anything that Chris Carter dropped was like golden. Yeah. And then it started to to bleed into uh, Buffy and Firefly, obviously. And then Star Wars was a little bit slower because Lucas played things so close to the chest all yeah. the time. Oh, yeah. But even prior to selling to Disney, Lucasfilm hired a couple of really, really great internal internal marketing people so in other Mm -hmm. words their job wasn't per movie or anything like that or the books it was how to brand lucasfilm and the star wars franchise itself and that's late 90s early 2000s with the prequels is when they really started working on that and that's so important you bring those writers forward to show that conversation about here's what i was thinking when i wrote this and then the director can can talk to well this is why i adapted that this way and i think Nowadays, it's so cool. Fans are totally into that. Yeah. And, and as the producer behind the scenes, I love that. Well, yeah, it's just, I, that's like you were saying with the subscription service, I was yeah. like, 
Yeah, I'm waiting for the succession to be done, and then I'm going to chill out on HBO right. for a little while. <laughs> I'm good. You know, I can't watch succession. I've tried, and the reason is, is it's just too close to home because we were there during the whole Lachlan, James, Murdoch trying to take over Fox thing. Mm. I, was work, I was working there, and at that time, I was basically my boss's boss. Yeah. Reported directly to James, and then it went to Lachlan, and then it went to the sister. Then it was Rupert. And it's like, oh my God, I can't handle this. So yeah. every time I watch it, it just, it, it literally gives me like a stomach ache. Yeah. Even as, as funny and satirical and unbelievably well written as it is. That's my thing. I just love that tight, tight, like Veep. I don't know if you've ever seen Veep before. Oh, I love Veep. Are you kidding? It has some of the tightest writing. And it's like every, so I've rewatched it so many times because I'm, I'm telling you guys, every time you rewatch this, you find a new line you didn't catch before. Oh, you do. Yeah. But those the best. <laughs> I love it. I love watching those where you're like, oh my God, I missed that because I was laughing and I missed yeah. that laugh. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, be Gary I, in the I, corner I that did. says like the best line of the show. You didn't even catch it. <laughs> and you know, and I, and I will say the reason I have kept going back to succession is because of the, the wry humor part of it. Yeah. It's just the other part. I, it's just, I too close. <laughs> yeah. Kind of lived through it. And for yeah. us down the, you know, shit rolls downhill for mm-hmm. us, we were jerked back and forth constantly over, yeah. you know, oh, they're really into digital marketing. Now they're not. Oh, create content. You're going to get to go on the set right from the beginning. And then I would waste six months creating all this content because the next time they changed their mind and we couldn't use that content because they didn't want to give anything away. So like with Avatar, we had not the last airbender, James Cameron's Avatar. Yeah. We had all of this amazing content. And unfortunately, and I get it, James and John Landau, his producer, didn't want to give away anything. And I, I totally understood that. But I was just so mad at our bosses for not finding that out earlier. We spent months and months and months creating this amazing digital content and we couldn't use any of it. So, now, well, and what's funny is now for the new Avatar movie, you see them show the pool that they're filming in all the time. Yeah, and, yeah. and I mean, I don't know, to me, that builds the hype in myself. I want to go see right. if I, you know, and we, but I he don't wouldn't release that. One of my best friends, Josh Izzo, works over there and does all of the, um, uh, consumer products and publishing for them. And because there's not, it's not a huge company. He also was wearing the social media digital content hat for a while. And three years ago, when they first started filming, he couldn't release anything, nothing, no teasers, no nothing. And I was desperate. I'm like, dude, just send me something. I got to work on it originally. I want to see it. Nope. It was a complete and total lockdown. And and maybe that, I, I don't know, you know, that's a balance talking. That's part of what I do. Talking to an IP owner about how much you give away and how much you don't. We talked a little bit about that before we started is that sometimes you give away just enough to tease, to engage, to get that audience, maybe that you haven't reached before, not an existing audience. But if you give away too much of the plot, and this is what a, you know, a trailer company goes through all the time, a trailer marketing video company how much do you give away how much you don't and the directors the writers the studio they all get a say it's all a decision by committee and the problem is is that a lot of times you'll have conflicting goals and mission with it probably ideology too they all think different exactly yeah yeah and it's and i have to say honestly it's usually the writer and director who are trying to keep it close and not reveal everything and it's the studio who says or that marketing department who says oh my god that scene was amazing. And it's true. It could be an amazing scene, but are you giving away too much of the plot? So then someone gets to the movie, they're disappointed and your back end is, you know, a bad audience score on Rotten Tomatoes because you gave away too much and it wasn't yeah. as tight. <laughs> I mean, as we both know, a lot of times the trailers are better than the movie. So yeah. 
you know, God love the trailer. Uh, I mean, I've got fans that are trailer editors and oh my God, they do such an amazing job. But that's part of what I have to work with with IP owners a lot is I want to create that recap, right? Well, how much are you going to give away if you're trying to get a new audience? If you give away the whole story, they don't need to go read the book or watch the show. Is there a concern with when you're doing a recap? Because you're working on two books and we're going to talk about those here in just a moment. You're going to be doing recaps for these books. How much of a concern is it to try to still sell the original copies and Mm -hmm. give a recap of those copies as well? It's really hard. It's a fine line. I mean, you, you have to work with really good companies. So I'm working with a company called Jump Creative. They are phenomenal at this. And what they they do, a couple of reasons it works is their creative director is actually a writer himself. He writes, uh, he has his own line, The Hacktivist with Image Books. Then he's also done Batman, et cetera. So he knows how to try to walk that line creatively. And what our job is, and this is what I usually do, is I work very closely with specific agencies and community managers that are specific to that particular type of genre. So whether, and and also ones who are good in the delivery. So what I have to do is I, I hire a team that is specific to that genre, understands the fandom, but also understands the delivery vehicle, whether it's a book, it's a series, TV series, or film, or comics. Because, um, you know, graphic novels and comics are radically different from a book. Yeah, um, yeah. My, my content that I create is very different. And the fans might be the same. Your overlap is there. But for instance, the two books we're going to talk about we're, it's not necessarily the same audience. There's a huge sci-fi fantasy audience that's primarily female that don't necessarily buy graphic novels. So that, that means, do I try to convince them or do I just go after that audience? And to do that, how do you create a recap that fits both? You can't. So convincing an IP owner to pay for multiple recaps is tough, but you have to do that because you, you're going to target different audiences and you're going to target your existing audience like with these two franchises and then try to go get new audiences. Where's that overlap? Where are their interests overlap? Yeah. Well, speaking of new audience, let's introduce these yeah. people, everybody to some new books here. So first we have cursed truths and they're working on their second book coming out pretty soon. Correct. And this is with Cynthia and Tyrone, but if people are going to Google it, I don't want to give them the, I forgot about the new name. It's MJ Harper is their MJ pseudonym, Harper. right? There because there's, there's really three authors. And so they've worked together and this is, it's an amazing franchise. So the woman, uh, Cynthia and I, you know, just her background really quick. Uh, she was, she, she's a business manager and a marketer. And she literally dreamed this story over a couple of months. And she started writing it down and her, one of her uh, coworkers, um, Katrina and Tyrone, two of them, uh, Tyrone's a writer and he's Welsh and he is, as many, not to paint with a broad brush, but as many Welsh men and women are great storytellers, very much into the creative arts. And that's something that he did a lot of. And the two of them did this together. So the first book is Blood of a Guardian. One of the reasons I love this is that it is a kick-ass female heroine. She's an FBI agent. She discovers that she's a supernatural guardian. Her uncle had tried to protect her. And this whole franchise is going to follow her story and the team that she gathers around her. And it's, it is just, it is an amazing franchise, an amazing arc. They've written all of the synopses they've written. We're selling it as currently we're selling it as a series that's going to hopefully go into development this summer. And then we're also doing um, right now, we're working on uh, supplemental graphic novels that tell the origin story. So this is a very, 
very well-rounded franchise. And so this is probably a seven to 10 year franchise that we'll be working on. This is exactly your expertise. You're taking one item here, this the book franchise, and you're like, here we right. go. We're going to go in this corner. We're going to go in that corner. Yep. And finding a way to get the audiences to blend from each of those exactly. corners because they're not the same audience. No. Uh, not all the time. Yeah, and exactly. Great. And keeping that existing audience who loves it, who might follow you through these different delivery vehicles, because you want all of that to be different, right? The series, uh, the scripts that they've written for the series are obviously slightly different. It doesn't have the depth of detail that the books do. It's going to hit the high points. And then the comic, the graphic novels we're doing are supplemental stories. So it's the background on her uncle and, you know, all of those types of things. So that is super exciting for me because then I can try to keep the existing audience. Hey, you want to go check this out? But also I can go look at new audiences and bring them in via these supplemental pieces. Yeah. And then use the supplemental pieces to bring them back to the original work and then yeah. just keep keep the cycle going. going. Exactly. How important is it, is it to market books with, you know, female leads by female artists sometimes? How important is that? And, and not so much how important is it is how do you make sure you bring in that audience as well? Oh, it's really hard, especially right now. I mean, you've got a very diversified audience in the sci-fi fantasy geekdom, which is great. I, I mean, we're looking at I'm Gen X. You're looking at people my age in charge of these IP houses, right? So studios, publishing, um, even small independents. And one of the things that several of my friends and I who work in across these different industries have noticed that just pre-COVID and then COVID accelerated it in a, in a weird way is that there was a bit of a, a, a repeat of history happening in the entertainment industry. In the late 80s, early 90s, there was a breakup of all the big studios. You had the rise of Searchlight and Focus Features and uh, A24 came later, but like A24. And what happened, Blumhouse, what happened was these independents came about because they created the content that they weren't seeing happening in the bigger studios. So what we've seen in pre-COVID, that was already starting to happen because of streaming and not just streaming, obviously YouTube and Twitch. And so what we've seen through COVID is that there was an acceleration of the independent creators. And it's not just in the streaming, what it allowed was for people who were comic book and graphic novel and publishers, writers, sorry, not publishers, to find an audience on their own. Because we had three years or two and a half years of, holy crap, I need as much content as I can because I'm bored out of my mind and I'm stuck. And so a lot of independence rose, A24 being, A24 has been around for a while, but it didn't hit its stride until it was able to really get a lot of its back catalog out there via, via streamers. You had uh, Kickstarters for independent, Kickstarter, I, I can't remember what the number was. It was insane, like a 300% increase in independent comic book and graphic novel artists and creators creating campaigns on Kickstarter. Yeah. And they're getting funded now too, which before it was a, eh, uh, right? there's some follow-up now. Now I forget what the latest number was, but it was something insane, like 70 something percent were getting funded, yeah. which is radically different from what it was before. Exciting. And then, <laughs> and then, and you know, we're not going to talk about this today, but this is something I know that you've had a couple of people on before. Um, consumer products also. So tabletop games in particular, I mean, all you have to do is look at the Dungeons and Dragons movie. You're looking at a 30 year franchise that finally came to a movie that is actually a good movie. Really and <laughs> that's because you have people in charge that are my age and, you know, exennials that are <laughs> that are unabashed in our passion for geek 
geekdom, fandom, anything. Which it's relatively, I think a lot of the newer generations don't understand that. There was a time when I went to high school, being a geek, we went, we had the band room. And right. that's where you went to go hang out and play Pokemon cards or something like that. Oh, right. You hit now, geek freaks, baby. I got it on my hat. I'm excited. Let's oh, do it. I mean, and that's, that's, that's honestly, a newer thing. <laughs> I'm on podcasts because what I do for a living is now accepted. Yeah. When, when I'm, not, I'm not kidding. Fox and MGM and all these guys, Paramount that I worked for. I mean, they gave me, I mean, not that Star Trek Nemesis is a great movie, but the fact I love that movie. That I is do, so good. It, Tom Hardy love, did okay, an excellent job. I, I love that movie. And a large part of it is because I worked on it for a long, right, long right. time. That was a really long. So you kind of tend to like a movie you like you worked on. But I loved that movie. And again, I'm an easy entry fan. It's one of the reasons I do what I do is because I'm not hardcore about almost anything except maybe Buffy. I mean, outside of that, I don't think I'm really hardcore about anything. But what was so amazing is that I was so lucky because nobody gave a shit. They didn't want to work on any of this. Nobody even got it. And so and I'm just, this is 1997 to 2006 maybe next gen is well established and already has a very big fan base and that, and, that should be an easy grab <laughs> and nobody wanted so i got to work on yeah. x files and buffy and all of these because oh, nobody wanted it and i was so we're talking not that long ago i mean yeah okay but 97 to 2007 i got to work on all the super cool franchises which was pure luck but also because i raised my hand I mean, for anybody out there that wants to get into what I want to do, that's one thing that I want to talk about with people is just be curious and raise your hand and ask questions. Just ask questions because all I did was say, I'll work on it. And, and I would say it proactively. Hey, I just saw that you guys aren't doing anything with Buffy. Do they have a budget? Can we just do something small? And this was at the end of it. And same with X-Files because I was coming in when they were at the end. And then Stargate was starting. I'm like, oh, I love Stargate. I'll work on that. And, and honestly, Outside of one guy over at MGM, Michael Brown, nobody cared about Stargate at all. They were like, whatever, it makes money for us. It's over here. Who cares? Okay. Well, what if you don't you want to make more money? Don't you want to get more fans? And so I would get these crazy budgets because they would just say, well, you know, we've allocated this money for content production. Do you want to go on the set? <laughs> oh my God. Sure. Of course. <laughs> I mean, and they would ask it kind of differently, like, well, do you want to go? I'm like, okay, yeah. I'm not a marketer. I'm a geek. <laughs> yeah. That's, I'm a content creator geek. So, duh, yeah, I want to go. I, I think the IPs are maybe starting to ring. I mean, I, I, they have to understand yeah. at this point now that that's the case. Yeah. The idea, like for me, Voyager was like my, my, my gateway exactly. into Star Trek. Yeah. Okay. And then it just opened the doors, of course. Yeah. And Nemesis yeah. was actually my very first TNG anything that I watched. Oh, really? So that wedding oh. scene. I was like, oh, OK, I know these characters from seeing them, you know, mm -hmm. on mainstream stuff. But but that, that wedding scene in the beginning was the introductory to me. And, oh, I um, and I see and I love yeah. the way that movie was shot and the yeah. greens and the blacks and how we I mean, it was just amazing. And that one I didn't get to go on set, which was a bummer. But uh, but that shift was my age and at Xennial, so older than you slightly um, becoming in charge. And in 2007 is when that really started to shift, where there was an actual allocation of real funds, of real attention. Now, you know, that comes with, unfortunately, that also comes with a spotlight on what you're doing and way more people giving an opinion about how this should work. And so 
oh my God, the number of times. And the fact that I still have this same conversation just kills me is that the, if we build it, they will come is still a unconscious bias that happens all the time. And there's an unconscious bias that women don't give a, whatever, sorry, I know, I'm sorry, give a shit, give a shit about sci-fi fantasy, even gaming still, despite all the attention that has been on it, despite the fact that you had Olivia Munn on G4 for years, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. The, the, the lack of understanding, even by my generation, which is just gobsmacks me when I have these meetings, I just had a meeting about a super famous franchise where I said, here's what we want to do. And again, it was with Jump Creative. We want to create this hub. And what this hub is going to do is going to cover multiple platforms. We're going to go to those audiences differently. And we're going to approach these audiences differently. And what that'll allow us to do is go to these concentric circles that you haven't gotten yet. And I swear to God, the answer was, Jenny, why do we need to spend money on that? We have our existing 65 million fans. What do we care? And I said, well, do you have 65 million fans paying outside of that film or their series? Are they paying for anything else? Are they coming back? Do they spend time on your streamer? Do you do they spend time talking about it? Oh yeah, yeah. They're on all the forums. Oh my God. They're forums. on Reddit. <laughs> yeah. They're on Come Reddit. On. <laughs> oh my God. Right now it's all about TikTok comments. You guys are not they, even in TikTok comments anymore. <laughs> and they'll say, oh, well, we have millions of views. Oh my God, we're back to that again. Yeah. Um, millions of views on TikTok. And I said, right, are they engaging? Engagement they- is everything. <laughs> and so they'll say, I swear to God, this was the conversation. Well, Jenny, we don't have to worry about that. I mean, look, we just put this out and I got 60 million views. And I said, and you had 2000 engaged comments. That's it. That means all they cared about was looking at this one way street. There was no interactivity for you. And that means, and then I said, did they click on your bio link? Do they click on any of your, did they go through? Oh, we had a a 1.4% click through. I'm like, oh my God, out of 60 to 65 million views, that's insanely stupid. So I I just, I'm always surprised at the, even my age, disconnect between the, if we build it, they will come, which is obviously proven by that 60 million fans that came to view all of these trailers that they, that they did. But, you know, Disney's kind of fallen into this. It's a sit on your laurels. We're fine. We're going to be fine. And it's essentially why Chapek failed and Bob Iger came in. Yeah. It's amazing watching that shift. I mean, as somebody who, who reads and then shares the geekdom news every morning, yeah, Bob Iger, the way he's going back in and some of the things he's making and some of them I agree with, but a lot of it is like, look, we're going to go back on what works. Yeah. And that's why we're like, okay, he's making avatar now. One of the staple franchises for Disney. Exactly. Makes sense. Makes he's sense. like, he's like canceling a lot of star Wars movies, but then he's like, we're going to do these star Wars movies. Like that makes sense. It and, does. Um, and I keep you know, telling everybody like, I have money on it. that Iron Man's coming back sooner than you think now. Because well, he's like, yeah. if you want an extra billion dollars on a movie, you just have to throw an Iron Man oh, in yeah, it. <laughs> Ironheart, and is you know, yeah, there was a huge, huge surge for her. I, mm-hmm. I wish there'd been more from Miss Marvel because I think she's an amazing uh, character. But you've got such a great young Avengers. You've got all of these. I mean, oh, that's gonna be big. Thunderbolt. Yeah. I mean, you've got all of the. I mean, look, Julia Louis Dreyfus as Val is just freaking hilarious and i just i mean i hope she and martin freeman have a whole web series that they do because the two of them are hilarious that is a great idea i would wouldn't that be great supplemental content because the two of them did they did the thor thing i'm sorry to interrupt with the thor little thing where he's like working or whatever oh it's great and and then them and wakanda forever which Mm -hmm. 
you know, I'd forgotten they were married. And it was like, yeah. oh my God, you've got to do background on that. And I don't even know, I, I'm sure there are outtakes because what I heard from a friend who worked on it was that they had done, because both of them are good improv people, she especially, that they have some outtakes where the two of them were just riffing when they were in the kitchen. And it's, I just, or when they were walking, right? And I just think that would be amazing to have that. Just little five minute things that you could have with them. That's the kind of thing that gets an, an engaged fan super excited about it. But then you might pick up fans that didn't even really care about Marvel or anything. And it, that's an easy entry because suddenly you, if you go and you look and it's those two bringing together all of these different threads from the different series, you could do recaps just with them. They could be like having coffee in the morning because, oh, you know, they went together again and they could each be talking about what they've done and the case files that they're not supposed to share with each other. So that's the, that's what I get excited about. That's what gets me excited is to get that kind of fun stuff done. Well, and that's the kind of stuff too, where, you know, yeah, that brings in the outside fans, but then also it's extremely rewarding to the engaged fans already because that's the kind of stuff that lasts so long. It reminds me so much if you're a Muppets fan, you've all seen Fozzie Bear and Kermit talking on the tree. Yeah. And and that's the kind of thing that things lasted for 40 years. And, and it's still, still watched. Yeah. <laughs> and those, and you're right, because what that does, I mean, I've gone back and watched some of the roundtables with Dave Filoni and John Favreau, because what they talked about in some cases was they actually referenced some of the things that were going to come up. So Dave Filoni was talking about Bo-Katan in one of those roundtables, kind of hinting to that. And so it's fun to go back and watch that because you're like, oh, yeah, they've been planning this. He's well, he especially has been planning this for 15 years. You know, it's just all of these things that is in his head. And that goes back to what we were talking about, that I'm, I'm, I'm just blown away sometimes that people don't understand people in charge, that that's the kind of thing behind the curtain that fans nowadays just soak up. They eat it up. They love it. And it gets them excited about that franchise. Now, it's harder with graphic novels and authors. So the curse truths, for instance, the blood of a friend, uh, blood of a guardian in that franchise. What we've done is we've created a lot of background content for it. But the problem is, is that it doesn't do any good if I don't have an existing audience to plug that into. So growing an audience is really hard. And that's, you know, it takes on average two to three years. And the difference with a book or a graphic novel is that you're not going to have the video content, which, of course, as we all know, does better. So that's where you have to get the authors out. You have to get them out and doing quick snippet interviews and fun things. And you have to get creative like Jump Creative does for me, where they create these super cool videos. So they put together animated videos. Um, another one, um, shoot, I'm blanking on the name. I'll, I'll try to remember it. But Noah and his partner created the animated concept art for First Truth. And it's beautiful. And what that did was that allowed me to go to an audience on Twitch and other places. And it's it's slow. I mean, it is a slow growth. And I tell the authors in general, it takes two to three years average to grow a graphic novel or franchise novel um, base to get you to the point where you get noticed by that next level that you want to get noticed at. We were lucky with Blood of a Guardian because with Curse Trues. Because the executive producer, Priscilla Pesci, and I have connections and we can we can pitch to other things. But it takes it's still taking two to three years. I think we're only at like a thousand followers on Instagram and things like that. It's it just takes a lot of time because you you want to have authentic growth. 
I know authenticity is this catchphrase, but it's a cliche for a reason. You don't want, obviously, you're not going to buy followers. You're not going to go through that. That's, you know, way past past that bullshit. You have to be, I keep saying it, you have to spend the time. And yeah, that's hard. Well, and the thousand and the thing, too, is engagement. Again, going back to the engagement part, that a thousand followers, I find like Kickstarter uh, yeah. comic book backers and stuff like that. Same thing with novels. They are so dedicated to the brand that's immediately. Right. And, um, you know, not to, you know, we, we do OK on, on Twitter with numbers wise, but I've talked to other people. It's like I will go back to 50 followers if I could trust those 50 followers to engage with the content. Exactly. I don't need the number up on top. I need the engagement on the thing I'm putting out yeah. today. Yeah. And. It's amazing how much that's difficult to do. So if you guys are looking for a fandom to jump in on that is so engaging, I can't suggest these books like this one, Curse of Truth, Blood of, the Gu- Blood of a Guardian. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, I'm already excited to check it out. Good. Oh, I'm so glad. That's great. <laughs> yeah. It has it on Kindle. It's part of Kindle Unlimited, too, guys. If you guys yes. are already part of Kindle Unlimited, which yep. I'm a sucker for it. I know, me too. You got that. And then you got the paperback you guys can get your hands on. Yep. We're going to link to that. And, we're gonna, and we'll be at San Diego Comic-Con and LA Comic-Con. Um, and hopefully New York Comic-Con this this year. So Okay. We are definitely at LA Comic-Con. I know we're at San Diego Comic-Con. We're sending somebody down, but we have the, the whole crew goes down for LA Comic-Con. So we'll okay, look at here for sure. Um, awesome. I, I also want to make sure we talk about the other book too. And the last, Luminian. Can you tell us a little bit about that book? You bet. So again, it's a female hero um, and she's a princess. But what she doesn't realize is that she's always wanted to fight for the essentially the underdog that is on her planet in her universe. And she was doing it instinctively. And then through a series of events, she actually becomes part of the rebellion to fight for freedom. And she gathers around her, this team that is amazing. There's, you know, twins that are the comedy relief. There is her uh, essentially who becomes her, her love, which is Callum, who's a general. Um, And what happens of course is throughout this franchise, it becomes a war. And she goes from being a princess to a warrior and it's her arc. And it's a franchise. The fourth book will be out. There's three books already. And uh, Lila, you know, is the lead character. And she is, I think this is a little bit different than blood of a guardian. Blood of a guardian is an older. So Skylar, who's the the main character, she's in her late twenties. She's already been through a lot. She's an FBI director. Lila is young. She's 19 to 23. I think she's going to go to 25 over the series. And what this is, is genuinely a mature coming of age. So it's not a YA novel, but it is definitely that maturing of I'm, I'm a princess and, you know, I've been treated this way and everything's come very easily. And then I discover that a lot of the things that came naturally to me that I wanted to fight for was happening in this rebellion. And it's her, the first book is a lot of her, realizing I've been spoiled, even though I didn't think I was, uh, right. It's that, that, and then it's meeting, there's a lot of meeting other races that is very pertinent to what's going on in our world right now. And the arrow war that happens is, is it's a bit of a warning in the, in the arc, the story arc, which is we have to pay attention to what's happening in our world. We can't be living, you know, in Elysium above the planet. It, we yeah. have to be paying attention. So. We, I mean, we're a broken record around here. We talk about this a lot with Star Trek. Sci-fi's best aspect is the fact that it's a lens through sci-fi on our current day. So it's basically everything's a metaphor or a yeah. way to look at something and have a discussion without it becoming personal. Yeah. But then taking that person that that discussion you just had and then placing it over your world and you're like it makes sense. Absolutely, so absolutely. And, and the best of the sci-fi writers, whether it's for TV with Star Trek, 
Star Wars and films. I mean, and and you know, it, it certainly the Expanse is a perfect example um, that you have again because there are a lot of people our age in charge who are looking for a broad spectrum. The beauty of it is that whether or not you love to read or comic books or watch TV or go to films. There is something for everybody in this spectrum, whether it's Winona Earp or The Expanse or The Peripheral that I just finished. It's There are so, so many good pieces of content that are creative. And these writers, again, I keep going back to pay attention to the writers, follow them on Instagram, follow them on TikTok, pay attention to what they're saying, because what they're going to do is they're going to expose you to things that you've never thought about before. And yeah. that, to your point, is it is shining a light not just for the things you already know, but shining light on areas that you didn't know anything about. And yeah. that's what's super cool. And they do it in a way that's exciting. I mean, none of us need to be hit over the head with it. Of or, course. I don't, well, I don't know. Well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> so I think need to be kind of guided a little bit. Events, yeah. I mean, <laughs> considering some recent, um, not to be political, but considering some certain events that just happened. Yeah. I think some people do need to be hit upside the head about it. But mm-hmm. The beauty of these books, at least the ones that I'm working on that I love, and it's it's I'm not hardcore drumbeat about feminism or any of it, but to have two really strong female heroines in these books, I didn't search these out. The authors came to me and I feel so honored that they asked me to hold these up and to find fandoms for this Mm -hmm. that. It's not just female. Guys can read this, especially because there are equal characters. Like in Blood of the the third book is about her brother Alex Zhang. So the whole point is that this is a team, you know, mm-hmm. and that's what Star Trek did. That's what Gene Roddenberry wanted to show is that oh, yeah. the teamwork, Stargate does the same thing. More than Star Wars, quite frankly, mm-hmm. is that it's the team working together that achieves. It's not the individual that achieves. And I think I think even Star Wars is getting there, like we're seeing with like, I think this season of Mandalorian, not to spoil anything or like that, but we're seeing a lot of like, it's yeah. not, it's not Din Jardin, It's not Mando by himself. Right. It's Bo-Katan right. and him seeing that Bo-Katan exactly. is the best option and well, backing and her up knowing. Because, you know, the way, she's, yeah, <laughs> because think about how she started in uh, Clone Wars and, and how Dave Filoni had written her, her arc his in, in this round table where he talked about her story arc is yeah. discovering I can't do it by myself. I mm-hmm. failed because I didn't have the dark saber, but she didn't really fail because of, she thinks she failed because she didn't have that tool. She didn't win right. it correctly. And what she learns is no, it's because she tried to do it by herself. She was so angry and it was all about vengeance. And that's, you know, what she's learning is that no, I need to have a team. I cannot do this by myself. Mm-hmm. Then I'm sitting by myself in the throne room on the planet by myself. That's a great visual shot right there of just like, that's what right? happens when you do it on your own. Is your exactly. own, your own. And it was yeah. so philosophical. We talked about it a lot. Just here, a whole bunch of us were watching it together. And we, we actually stopped and talked about it and zoomed in to see, you know, the two freezes that were to the left and right of her. And we were paying a lot of attention to there's such depth in those shots. Yeah. And the three different shots that they have of her or the two main ones when he visits her the two times. Those were so pertinent to her arc, yeah. her, her story. So it's, you know, she's, that I, I, I'm loving her more and more every day. Every time I watch it, like I, I like how now she's kind of seeing that other perspectives matter. And not only that, some of them are yeah. grounded in her own right. 
like it's such a little one-liner that she says oh yeah my dad you sound like my dad or something like that and it's like oh, right that's a very right. important line for her to say that's just getting yeah. brushed aside now that, exactly. that basically too, the right? way is her dad's way <laughs> and and for him too because here his whole arc yeah. was i was with the way i did something that was counter to what i was supposed to do now i'm back in but is it really the only i mean it's it's a really yeah. interesting up down up down arc for him where he, he's learning from the very beginning oh i need people as well i can't exactly. do this by myself yeah. and i need to show essentially the zealots that mm-hmm. follow this right that yeah. it it i mean they already believed it right i mean especially the forger they all believed that you had to have this family mm-hmm. but that family can't exist on its own in a void and that's right. what i think's been fascinating I, you know they've missed a couple of times in some of the episodes but i think that's really been an amazing theme that with the two main characters of Bo-Katan and Dinjarin that you've got well and of course Grogu but mm-hmm. you know he's kind of a given he we know he knows yeah. right we know he's <laughs> he's the oldest guy in the room nobody's talking about it <laughs> exactly Exactly. So I think that those are themes that we can't, we don't need to be hit over the head, but we walk away with it. Hopefully we've internalized it. And that's with the the books that I'm working on. It's the same thing. It's what I'm hoping is that you enjoy the story. You love the world building. I mean, oh my God, we didn't even talk about world building. That's like the most fun thing. Just looking at the the covers. I'm like, oh, that I, this castle on the side of a, I'm on board. (laughs) It's so much fun. And it's the world building as a fandom developer is how I get fans a lot of yeah. times when they don't know anything about it. You know, you could have the interview with the author, but that means nothing if there's not a visual for you to see. Mm-hmm. And to do the world building for me, I love it. I love it. That's it's my favorite so, part. Yeah, <laughs> it's so much fun. And that's hopefully that brings these fans in to read the book. And you 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 have messages. Obviously, every author mm-hmm. has a message. Every writer has a message. But you want to be able to have fun with the ride. Not just feel like it's, you know, and there's some sci-fi that's pretty deep and I can only handle it, you know, little bits at a time because it is these really deep philosophical messages. Cool. But my favorite is these types of stories where Mm -hmm. you've got the theme, but the story and the world building and the characters, they're the ones that propel propel it. It's not 40 pages of description. I mean, God love Dune, but, you know, I can I can only handle so much. Yeah. I suggest I you guys check out the audiobook. That was the best way for sure to go oh, through that. Wasn't the, oh, the audiobook was amazing. And I yeah. didn't know about it. Christina Ariel told me about it. And mm-hmm. I immediately went and listened. And I was like, oh, so much the better. Sand than blowing through. And it's like, <laughs> I remember driving around listening to it and then just being parked at my house, sitting in the car, like, I can't stop right now. So know, I'm going right? to keep listening. Right. <laughs> and especially, I mean, if you live in Southern California, I'm in traffic forever. Yeah. So <laughs> it was, it was so great. And I, cause I loved Dune when I was in high school, mm-hmm. but it's like, I don't remember any of it. I am sure I skipped pages of description. And <laughs> so listening to the audiobook of the Sandman as well was so Oh my God. Good. Yeah. With McAvoy. Oh yeah. my goodness. Oh Ooh. my God. It was, was so good. We reviewed that on the show too. Yeah. Did you? I missed <laughs> yeah, that so one. Good. You know, and I, a couple I, years ago. <laughs> I like the Sandman. I liked the adaptation. I am, again, I am a fairly easy audience that people make fun of me because I'm, you know, I'll watch just about anything. I'm always optimistic. Generally, I'm like, I like this part of it. Right, <laughs> That's fine with right. me. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. There's always something we can pull out of it. I mean, unless yeah. it's horrifying. So, you know, I just, I, I think that all of the audiobooks for the Sandman and for Dune, 
I, I mean, I, I don't know why I hadn't thought about it before. I just, I love to read. So I don't really mm-hmm. think of audiobooks automatically because I'm listening to podcasts when I'm driving and right. doing stuff. But now I am so into the audiobooks because it brings it, it brings it alive in a way where I don't have to dedicate time to sit down and watch something. And that's, and that helps me. I get to, I get exposed to more content, which is amazing. More authors. But there's an audiobook for this as well. Can you, can yeah. you talk about that a little bit? Uh, sure, you bet. So uh, one of the things that, that this was before I came on, but S.G. Blaze, mm-hmm. who's the author, that's one author. She was pretty adamant about having an audiobook done because same thing. Her experience as a sci-fi fan was that she was really busy. She was working like crazy. And her husband um, is a tech guy. And so they were crazy busy. And so Mm -hmm. the audiobooks, a lot of times, were her escape. And so she was adamant that they do an audiobook at the same time. And so what we're doing right now is we're trying to make sure that we do enough marketing for that content as well. So we make sure that we get an audience that we might not get otherwise. Well, this has been awesome talking to you. Uh, and God, I, could, I think we could talk for hours on end, but yeah. I want to make sure we point people in the right direction. So we have the Cursed Truce and the last Luminian. And so you guys <laughs> head, head over to those, or I'm going to have them linked in the description. Audio, book, paperback, Kindle, whatever you want. They're all there. Jenny, my goodness, I love this conversation. This was a lot of fun. Me too. Thank you so much for having me on. We could have probably talk for hours about all of our love of all things sci-fi and fantasy yeah. i know but i had I to steer myself away a few times i was like okay no more mandalorian because i could go keep going on that <laughs> i know, I know. really yeah. good all right guys thank you very much for joining me and i appreciate it and we'll see you guys next week bye